Konnichiwa Minasan. Uh, complementary and alternative medicine has been part of different cultures all over the world, Asia, Africa, Europe, and so on. India and China probably have the biggest repertoire of herbal alternative medicine. And Manipur also has its own system, which developed independently of systems such as Ayurveda. Now in India, we have a separate body in the form of Ayush Ministry, which has been uh, tasked with the regulation of the uh, complementary and alternative medicine systems in India. On top of this, we have uh, nutraceuticals and supplements which are gaining notorious popularity. Now, the regulation of these products fall under a separate body, the Food Safety and Standards Authority of India, the FSSI in short. However, Indian regulatory bodies, they are quite infamous for their lackadaisical and unethical attitude. Now, one common thing among the uh, proponents of CAM system, the nutraceuticals and herbal supplements is their claim that their products are 100% safe and purely plant-based. However, this is a bold-faced faced lie and public deception. Not only do these products lack scientific validation, but there are reports all over the world about their toxicity. Unfortunately, many of these cases go unreported. Now, to have a little conversation on this matter, we have with us someone who has been working on liver toxicity induced by consumption of herbal medicine and supplements and these nutraceuticals provided by companies like Herbalife, Amweth, and uh, the IPLs and uh, as such. So, Dr. Phillips, thank you for joining with us. Thank you for uh, having me on this uh, program. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, before we dive right in, uh, please tell like the audience about your profession and the research that you have uh, carried out in the Monarch Liver Laboratory at the Rajgiri Hospital, if I'm uh, saying correctly, in Kerala. Um, so I'm a, I'm a trained uh, hepatologist, uh, meaning I take care of uh, patients with liver disease. So this is very different from gastroenterology, uh, which is actually uh, to do with the whole of digestive system. So this is a, a super sub-specialization of gastroenterology known as hepatology. So I did my uh, uh, training in followed by my master's in uh, internal medicine at uh, Miralathan Sarkar Medical College in Calcutta and I went on to do my uh, hepatology DM uh, course in uh, Institute of uh, Liver and Biliary Sciences in Delhi. So I, I, I've been uh, working as a, a consultant in hepatology since last uh, five to six years and uh, a lot of my work actually uh, is on uh, cirrhosis, especially alcoholic liver disease, uh, which is very, very common in South, especially in Kerala. And uh, on top of that, accidentally, uh, I have been exposed to a lot of patients who come with uh, severe liver injuries due to drugs. So initially, it was all thought to be due to prescription drugs that we commonly see, you know, tuber anti-tuberculosis drugs or painkillers or old world you know, antibiotics and such. But what I have been seeing is that uh, after an in-depth uh, evaluation of a large number of patients that I have been seeing, uh, a lot of these patients were actually on herbal supplements. 
you know, for a lot of reasons, from diabetes to loss of appetite to uh, weight loss, you know, you name it. There is a herbal supplement for everything. And that is how I started getting uh, interest in uh, studying herbal liver injuries. And then this actually became my uh, primary line of work. And uh, my basic work is on analysis of these products, uh, treating of patients, uh, treating patients with severe herbal liver injury, and also studying clinical outcomes and toxicology of these uh, uh, herbal products. So, in short, uh, uh, I have been uh, also uh, working actively in this since last uh, four to five years in uh, herbal-related liver injury, and uh, I am also the uh, faculty member. Uh, who has uh, been part of the Asia-Pacific Association of Study of Liver Disease Guidelines on Drug-Induced Liver Injury. And that section on Ayush Liver Injury is uh, formulated by me. So I have written guidelines for uh, how to treat and diagnose patients with Ayush Liver Injury. So that is my work in, in, in short. Thank you, Doctor, for the like in-depth in introduction as such. And uh, as you can see, uh, the doctor has been involved in these uh, herbal-induced uh, liver liver uh, liver toxicity uh, or injuries, as it is called technically. So, um, going into the slightly in-depth about this, I'll just put up a list of publications which the doctor published so far from 2017, which I think was the first time you have published. Uh, yes, uh, it's 2017. Yeah. 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 I'll just uh, put up, uh, share a screen on that. So, yeah. So, this was the first paper which uh, you published in uh, as a case report in this, the uncommon cause of a common disease, uh, severe steatohepatitis secondary to the Ayurvedic uh, man-lion tonic or the Narashima Rasayana, as uh, it is called yeah. in, that, in that term. So, I think this was the first publication. Yeah, this was the first uh, report, a case yeah. report on uh, a particular Ayurvedic product known as Narasimha Rasayana, which yeah. is actually uh, oil-based, ghee-based uh, Ayurvedic formulation which is given to young males for weight gain. Yeah. So this, this young man had actually taken this Ayurvedic product to gain weight, to look good for his photographs prior to his wedding. So, uh, yeah, and what happened was that he landed up with uh, severe fatty liver disease and his uh, liver tests were off the roof. And uh, once we actually uh, diagnosed this, stopped the product and treated him for fatty liver disease, he completely recovered. And that was the first case that I actually saw that, you know, an Ayurvedic product can actually cause uh, liver injury. And this was the first report that I did. Yeah. yeah. So prior to that, like uh, you haven't like uh, come across any report as such? Uh, uh, so before this, I was in Delhi. You know, I, I, I worked there and studied there for a long time. And uh, the, the causes for liver injury is very different in the north. Maybe because it's not been picked up or maybe because the causes for liver injury is very different there. Because, for example, if you see the number one cause of liver disease in the north is probably hepatitis B and then maybe alcohol or both together. But if you come down south, uh, it's still alcohol. But we don't have much of hepatitis B or hepatitis C in South. But then we have a lot of drug-induced liver injury. So I think the regional differences matter. Uh, I have been picking up a lot of uh, drug-induced liver injuries in the South. And most of the drug-induced liver injuries that you see in the North is because of anti-tuberculosis treatment. And not probably because of herbal medicines or alternative practices. So there is definitely a, a difference in the regions. Yeah. 
and uh, after this so you started publishing like uh, quite uh, regularly with respect to the hili and also in so there were two papers in 2017 then after that you published i think around 5 to 6 papers in 2018 then in i think uh, 2019 you had the like infamous fiasco with uh, herbal life so I'll yeah just, yeah Yeah, this uh, shared it one now for the audience. So this yeah. was this was one of the like sad situation uh, events where money kind of uh, won over science. Like like uh, like in the last century when the tobacco industry was um, campaigning that uh, tobacco like uh, it does not cause any lung disease uh, like lung disorders and all, or like when the Exxon scientists were. Uh, Uh, spreading spreading their propaganda that uh, man made climate change is not a thing and also one so like that i think like this if not more but at, at least this is as equal as uh, failure of the you know this uh, publishing houses to uh, not submit to uh, pressure from uh, the vested groups with this regard so the and the paper was like very like uh, title like the slimming to death as such because of the uh, like i think this is a weight loss product from herbal life i think for which they are quite uh, well known and the surprising thing is that uh, toxicities related to herbal life have been published like uh, quite regularly compared to other like company products like right from 1998 to 2004 like i think one of the first report was the 10 series 10 case series Uh, reported by uh, one U.S. scientist back in the day about uh, toxicities related to herbal life. Then, uh, in countries like Switzerland, Germany, and Croatia, they have reported uh, toxicities related to herbal life. So, what happened here, like uh, in this uh, with this case uh, patient? Yeah, um, so basically, with uh, herbal life, if you actually look at it, my report is not the first report. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, if you look at a single multi-level marketing product. that's what we call as mlm which is actually a pyramid system mm-hmm. where they actually sell a product and then get commission out of it so it's it's like multi level marketing so if you look at the multi level marketing products the maximum number of uh, liver toxicity has been linked with herbalife and uh, this has been happening much much before uh, i published my single report and uh, before i published i think there were close to 55 cases of herbalife related liver injuries reported in published lit- literature and uh, this was actually mostly from israel switzerland like you said germany uh, from us and uh, uh, all of these reports uh, actually dealt with patient outcomes you know clinical outcomes how they how did they diagnose it and what happened to the patient and uh, there was one uh, report from europe by professor stickel where he actually identified uh, the herbalife products were contaminated with uh, a particular bacterial strain a particular bacteria not as much subtle yeah and that actually caused uh, severe liver injury in, in the patients who consumed it so what i did was that i went one step ahead so i described my patient my patient actually died after consuming herbal life and uh, she actually consumed it for her weight loss she was a patient she was uh, 24 years of age mother of two and uh, she went to this uh, nutritional club and they got herbal life products worth of there were some four or five products which they got for about 10000 rupees they consumed it for over 2 months and beyond 2 months she started getting uh, symptoms of liver injury liver failure and ultimately 
uh, when the moment I saw her, I knew that she would not survive with a liver transplant. I referred her for a liver transplant, but then it was too late. Uh, she died. And what I did was I went one step ahead and collected the Herbalife product from the place where she brought the Herbalife initially and also multiple other products that were sold over the internet. And when I checked these products, I found out that most of these products, majority of them, had a lot of contaminants. Some had adulterants, some had psychotropic agents, and none, none of these were standardized. You know, you, you look at the same product from different, uh, bought from different parts of the country, everything had different components. It's not standardized. So the standardization was lacking. There was contamination, adulteration. And this particular aspect, along with that patient uh, clinical aspect, I published as this particular report and called it as Slimming to the Death. Possibly an in, a very intimidating uh, title. <laughs> Probably that is what actually triggered everyone. But it's the truth. Uh, and what happened was that after that, you know, Herbalife mailed me saying that, you know, uh, we need proof that this actually happened. So I gave them the proof in the form of my report. I mean, uh, my case report contains de-identified patient details, biopsies, product uh, names, product uh, purchase details, and uh, the analysis. And uh, what they did was they were not happy with it. So they uh, mailed my uh, the editor-in-chief of the journal where I published this and also the publisher, El Sabia. And uh, they threatened them. Then they threatened me uh, through legal force, saying that, you know, this is defamation and uh, you need to take it out. So I said, let us go to court because I have the proof. The patient's husband is ready to speak on it. I mean, what more do you want? Patient's husband is ready to speak on it. We have ruled out all other causes of liver injury. And I said, let us go to court. And I did not hear from them ever after that. You know, Herbalife, Herbalife knew that if I actually step up my game, they are going to be in trouble. And it's so simple. It's very easy to debunk their claims because one, none of their products are scientifically proven. They don't need to because they serve it as or sell it as a food supplement or a health supplement. So it is not like a drug. So you don't need to test it. So it escapes all that stringent policies that drugs require of it. But the problem is that uh, most of these Herbalife products in these nutritional clubs are actually uh, advertised in some form of a, a, a drug. You know, it's not a drug drug, but then they advertise it like a drug. You know, you take this, your thyroid will be fine. Your thyroid disease will go away. Your diabetes will go away. You know, you can even get pregnant after taking Herbalife products. You know, there are a lot of advertisements like that. And they do it under the shadows. So basically what happened was that they started attacking the journal and the uh, publisher. And obviously it's a huge thing for them because to fight a company like Herbalife, I mean, they are a multinational company. They have a lot of money. Uh, you can actually see by the ambassadors that they pay to uh, come up on TVs uh, on, uh, in advertisements. I mean, you have, they have a lot of money. So to fight them, you need to spend money, effort, manpower, and obviously a small publisher, a small uh, journal, uh, and uh, somebody like Elsevier will never go for it. So what they did was they said, okay, let us uh, review the paper again. So we have something known as a peer review where they actually look at the scientific validity of the paper and then they publish it. So that was done initially. So they said, let us go back again and do a re-review. So my paper actually went through two cycles of peer review. And uh, the second peer review also said that, you know, there is no problem. Everything was fine because if there was a problem, they would retract my paper. They have not retracted the paper. If you see the title, it is written removed. And that is purely for legal reasons. Even though beneath, at that bottom part, the society which publishes the journal 
has written that it is removed for scientific problems but they never told me what the scientific problem was they actually mentioned that so that they can escape from the whole fiasco so ultimately those wordings were also not right because removal means legal retraction means scientific invalidity so they actually completely messed it up because they got so scared of what herbalife will do to them and herbalife knew exactly where to attack you know uh, the they knew that the journal will actually budge you know but i won't i'll definitely go ahead i mean i'll i'll somehow manage and work it up the uh, lawful ladder not like what the journal did so the journal did not want to spend money and everything so ultimately they said you know we'll do what you say and they removed my paper they initially gave legal reasons then they changed it without my knowledge to scientific invalidity and all that when there was no scientific invalidity actually proven and then they uh, did an uh, published it saying that there was an error and in pubmed they i i actually sent a legal notice to the journal saying that you know there is no scientific invalidity you never proved it so please do not write like that so what they did was they went back to pubmed so if you look at the pubmed uh, lines it is still re- written uh, removed for legal reasons and it became like that now i did not go behind it because uh, one thing is that uh, going behind it means i have to drag the whole family into it in the sense the mm-hmm. patient's family and they were just you know recuperating recovering from the whole tragedy uh, he had two kids to take care of uh, a couple of couple of years three years later he he remarried and you know i just wanted to leave them alone so i did not go push it further but i am still on the lookout for uh, all of these herbal and dietary supplements causing issues on public health and at some point i'll collate all these data and come out i mean it's not just herbal life it is everything like herbal life so herbalife was actually the uh, the beast in it all in the sense that herbalife actually has the largest penetration among asian countries european and us countries uh, herbalife is very well regulated in the us a lot of products that they sell here in india have lot of liver toxic ingredients which are not allowed in the us it's very clear the us tells them the usfda tells them see you can only market this stuff with this component so if there is some component that is problematic please remove it and that is what happens there in here nobody bothers nobody bothers so after my publication came out it was removed and that whole fiasco happened uh, dr elizabeth big who's actually a science integrity right. expert she actually wrote about it and uh, if there were some issues with my paper she would definitely tell me on my face or she would definitely put it on her blog saying that you know this paper is problematic and herbalife is right she did not do that she said there was nothing wrong with the paper and herbalife did everything wrong and this is not the way we work it out in science this was a classical example of how industry pressure can actually uh, bring down science to protect their businesses you know there is nothing to do with science there is nothing to do with public health here it's just money power and business protection and that's it and herbalife story is the same after i published my paper and it was removed and all that stuff you you should see the papers that have come out from latin america large systematic reviews large prospective series of patients with herbalife induced liver injury can you believe it it's it's still going on it's still going on and everything is under the blankets everything is under shadows people are still reporting on herbalife liver injuries and i don't i don't think anybody is even bothered about this aspect of nutraceutical and public health so for the audience like uh, so a uh, few points from what the doctor said like so uh, if you want to check about uh, these kind of reports and reviews and all 
You can simply go to the Google Scholar and type uh, Herbalife and Toxicity, and then you will get at least around 500 uh, uh, hits from where you can select which papers talk about the toxicities and all. And then uh, as you scroll down, you will see um, uh, publications which talk about uh, Herbalife products, which had to be uh, taken off the market in countries like Spain, Croatia, because of these reported toxicities. And another one is about uh, Dr. Elizabeth Bick. So uh, she is quite famous uh, to in catching this, uh, uh, this uh, was image manipulations in uh, scientific uh, this papers. And also you can go and check out uh, Microbiome Digest, which is her website where she uh, lists uh, uh, regularly on micro, uh, microbiome related papers and all. And then on her Twitter account where she uh, regularly uploads these uh, image manipulations and also uh, we'll provide the link in the description uh, in uh, below. Now, uh, coming back to this DILI, uh, one of the things which I think uh, I have observed among the doctors in uh, or the medical fraternity in India is that, okay, they do um, share, like uh, their diagnosis and all based on uh, scientific facts which have been taught in the MBBS courses and all. But when it comes to application of scientific thinking, I think this seems to be like uh, lacking in like major population or like in the medical fraternity. Like uh, I've seen doctors regularly like um, prescribing leave 52 for uh, this uh, uh, cirrhosis and all those uh, like liver disorders and all. So, um, and even alkaline water, like uh, this is one of the products which is being like, even promoted by some doctors for uh, like health benefits and all. So, which was quite surprising. Now, um, what do you think like is uh, uh, like uh, how, how have been your experience uh, with regard to this uh, with like among the uh, medical fraternity? Um, so, I mean, if you... If you look at the modern medicine practitioners, um, see, I'm not speaking on behalf of science or science integrity or scientific temper, but uh, my personal point of view while treating a patient is that, you know, you have to treat the patient as per evidence, right? So if, if somebody comes with uh, hepatitis A, which is actually self-limiting hepatitis, you know, viral hepatitis A, it's from contaminated food and water. You get the hepatitis A, you have jaundice, you have hepatitis, your liver functions are bad. But you don't need to treat it, treat it. You know, you don't need to give any medicines per se because you don't you don't need to, there is no medicine against hepatitis A. There is a vaccine, but there is no medicine against it. So once you get hepatitis A, you support the patient. Good nutrition. Some patients might require a hospital admission because they, are, they might be too weak or they might be dehydrated because of vomiting. So you support them. And then in due course of time, that in more than 99% of patients, 90 to 19% of the patients, that hepatitis A will resolve in few weeks' time and jaundice will go away. Now, the problem is that a lot of lot of the doctors actually know it, but then they ha they actually give a lot of medicines. For example, Le 52. Le 52 is given for all of these infective hepatitis. That is what they actually advertise on their website. It's good for a lot of things, including cirrhosis, cirrhosis progression, whatnot. And they also include uh, infective hepatitis. And the infective hepatitis like hepatitis A and E are all self-limiting. Even if you give them LIF52 or not, they are going to get better. So what they do is they give this and the patient actually feels that, you know, it is because of this that they're getting better. Even the doctor feels so. 
So it all becomes experience. There is no evidence in it. It's it's all experience. So that experience actually drives doctors to do more and more of this non-evidence-based stuff. And why do they do that? That is because they lack a scientific and critical thinking. You know, just because you are educated, you have learned science, you have gone through your MBBS, MD, DM, doesn't guarantee that you have a critical thinking. In the sense that once you actually start practicing medicine, it's not about prescribing drugs. It's about prescribing drugs at the right time, and most importantly, you should know when not to prescribe. That is the most that is the most important part of a doctor. Your doctors are not made to prescribe drugs. You should prescribe drugs only when it is needed. And all these doctors who prescribe Lip Fifty Two and all those kind of proprietary Ayurvedic medicines, and even even a lot of modern medicines have been prescribed unnecessarily for a lot of diseases when it is not required. This is all because they lack that critical thinking from the patient point of view, and most of them are not updated. You know, uh, a doctor should be a doctor is a student for life. Uh, for example, I read at least an hour a day, every day, without fail. I I read something new, or I brush back on something uh, in science and hepatology every day. I don't I don't waste a day. So when you keep updating yourself, you will understand. how science works and how you can apply science in your patients this critical thinking is lacking so what happens is a lot of these doctors who have no time they'll be seeing a lot of patients every day they have no time to do this uh, updation on a daily basis they depend upon these uh, drug company agents and you know representatives they come and show them a product and say that you know this the study has been done and this is the product and this is uh, how good it is they just take it at face value and they prescribe and that is what happens with lif52 because if you look at lif52 i'm taking this as an example lif52 because it is the most beautiful example of how you can uh whitewash pseudoscience as science and lif52 is the perfect product for it if you look at their publications on lif52 from 1955 i mean it's it's from 1955 and there are almost you know they claim on the website that there are 300 plus publications but if you actually look at it human Studies maybe six or seven, and out of that, a proper level four or level five uh, clinical trial, which we call as levels of evidences, are there? No, level four, level five are very good evidence for somebody to use that drug. There is no level four, level five in Lip Fifty Two since last five decades. It's all level one, level two, level one, level two. A lot of the studies are preliminary studies on either cells or tissue culture or animals. Very few. very poorly done very bad methodically done uh, studies in humans and this is what they actually show the doctors and most of them are published either in a predatory journal a fake journal or it's published in a very uh, dubious journal which nobody has heard of but then the title and all are very good you know a clinical trial of lip 52 in this and you show that to the doctors who's practicing they'll take it at face value and they write it but if you actually spend time and look at those studies you'll know that none of those studies are actually quality studies for us to prescribe this drug and if you look at it since last 5 decades 6 decades there is absolutely no evidence that lip 52 works for any liver disease no evidence i can guarantee this if if somebody can actually correct me i'll stand corrected i will prescribe lip 52 so i'm i'm 100% sure of it if the whole problem about doctors not doing the right thing from a science point of view is because they are too busy with their practices and i think they should be more patient centric in their approach to treatment 
and then things will become very clear i mean would i prescribe if a family member of mine is having jaundice would i prescribe b52 for them absolutely not my patient is my extended family so would i prescribe b52 for them no absolutely not why because there is no evidence it's so simple but then i i, I think more and more doctors should come uh, to this point of patient centric care and then things will change so like uh, like uh, continuing on from this lip 52 thing like you have been doing a uh, chemical analysis of the various products which uh, the patients have been consuming so can you share some like very shocking findings from these uh, chemical like these chemical and biological analysis yes i mean i can i can actually share a very real story it's not a story it's a real uh, what happened really and uh, uh, this this particular what i'm going to discuss here is actually published in the ken which is actually an online uh, uh, online news uh, portal where the patient family actually gave the interview on ken regarding uh, that there was a beautiful uh, article on herbal drugs and its safety in india and this particular story was actually featured in it uh, it's i have tweeted about it and uh, the ken website has actually this particular uh, story also so what happened was that there was this uh, 12 year old girl young girl 12 years of age she had epilepsy you know seizures she had fits recurrently in childhood so she was on uh, good medicines modern medicines for control of these seizures she was doing well for two years so the doctors started reducing the seizure medications so what happens is that some seizures are prolonged in in the sense that they go away only after you reach a particular age there are different types of epilepsies so the the moment you start reducing the dose some patients have breakthrough seizures for example they again get the fits when the uh, doses are reduced so this girl started getting seizures again when the doses were the dose was reduced now the neurologist who was seeing her told her family that you know we we'll, we cannot reduce the dose so fast so we'll have to go back to the slightly higher dose and then maybe follow her up and see maybe in in 3 or 5 years how much we can reduce and then maybe stop it later on so they were not very happy with that because they said i mean people ask uh, is there a cure you know there are diseases which you cannot cure there are diseases that we can control and that is enough there are certain diseases which are long term and you control them like diabetes and all that so you don't say cure in that so but people want that cure they need a cure so uh, when they asked is there is there a cure so the doctor said very 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 confidently he said that very i cannot say cure but i can we can control it and then we'll take it one step at a time so they were not happy so they went to an ayurvedic practitioner in kerala and this particular uh, ayurvedic hospital is very famous for uh, neurology you know they treat a lot of brain diseases i have no idea how but they do it and uh, this girl went there they stopped all her uh, modern medicines they started her on ayurvedic medicines so four years she was on ayurvedic drugs about uh, six or seven of these drugs along with uh, syrups and decoctions and what not arishtas and lot of stuff ayurvedic i have tweeted on this uh, also and all the products i have actually mentioned on my twitter also i'll share that with you and uh, she was seizure free for 4 years things were fine and suddenly one day she gets jaundice you know her bilirubin goes up to 8 and her eyes are yellow then i uh, the the uh, general physician who saw her initially refers her to me and then i see her and i see a young girl she is now 16 years of age and she has she is deeply jaundiced so what i did was i looked at all the common causes that we look at for example hepatitis viruses uh, other prescription drugs like i said no painkillers and all that none of that was there 
everything was negative so ultimately i said okay let us do a liver biopsy because doing a liver biopsy will give us the cause for liver injury and also the extent of liver injury how much the damage is there has happened so i did the liver biopsy and my pathologist called me and said uh, why is this young girl drinking so much of alcohol and i said uh, it's impossible she is 16 years of age she is such a nice girl goes to school very good in studies what are you saying he said no the liver biopsy is showing severe alcoholic hepatitis it's alcoholic hepatitis my pathologist was so clear it's alcoholic hepatitis i went and checked under the microscope it's alcoholic hepatitis so i went at that time i did not know that they were taking this ayurvedic medicine so i went back and said see something is wrong what are you actually taking show me the whole stuff so they brought the whole medicines to my opd a lot of ayurvedic medicines with these uh, bottles and all that i sent these samples to my lab for analysis and and lo and behold uh, or most of these uh, syrups that she was having contained alcohol as high as maybe fortified wine and sometimes as good as a standard liquor you know like 20 to 25% alcohol that was the reason why she developed alcoholic liver injury at the age of 16 because of ayurvedic drugs but it doesn't end there what i did was i treated her for uh, alcoholic hepatitis and that settled but her jaundice was not fully going away so we did a repeat biopsy we did a repeat biopsy and my pathologist says that you know i have not seen this pattern of liver injury very commonly this is something known as hepatoportal sclerosis hps and it is classically seen in uh, some particular toxins and mostly it is seen in arsenic so arsenic can actually cause liver injury in the form of hepatoportal sclerosis which can actually lead to liver injury and you know patients can come with jaundice and they can have fluid accumulation in the abdomen just like a cirrhosis patient so i went and checked all the analytical part and heavy metals plenty even her nail and her hair samples had arsenic in it My so she was poisoned she was poisoned chronically over 4 years through ayurvedic medicines in the form of alcohol consumption in the medicines and also in the form of arsenic toxicity in the ayurvedic medicines and her liver had two types of liver injury one was alcoholic liver injury one was arsenic liver injury thankfully she did not had to undergo a liver transplant she still follows up with me but the biggest issue of arsenic chronic poisoning is that patients can develop something known as angiosarcoma which is a cancer of the liver they can develop skin cancers 10 to 15 years later so i'm very worried about her future she cannot get married she cannot get married she cannot have a family life because she is always at risk of developing cancers so who who will i tell these stories to who will i tell these real stories to i mean this is really happening and this is all because of ayurvedic medicines and i have documentation i still have the medicines with me the parents of this girl gave interview and it is all published and i mean you would have seen recently yesterday ayush ministry sent a notice against me saying mm-hmm. that i should stop uh, talking about herbal drug toxicities and move on with my life otherwise they will uh, charge sheet me and all that whatever but this is real and it's happening this is just one story that i'm telling you i have even worse stories to tell you i mean i mean lack of time yeah 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 so to the audience what uh, i would like to say is that where the doctor the stories that the doctor have been sharing with uh, with us uh, on this video or on the twitter and and all and uh, which we will be sharing uh, in the future it's not that we want to uh, like uh, disparage or discourage any like all these uh, ayus uh, practices and all those thing it's just that we want them to be scientifically validated 
like uh, some of the good examples in which uh, beneficial drugs came out of these things is the famous uh, artemisinin so uh, dr yu uh, yu tu she went through like thousands of pages of the ancient like uh, uh, the chinese medicine texts and all and then uh, she uh, this uh, in one of the plants uh, the artemisia she was able to find this artemisinin which uh, which are now being which is now being used to treat uh, malaria and all so and many such examples are there like taxol then you have the reversterone and all, all such compounds are there so uh, the idea is that you have to scientifically validate these things and uh, not the whole plant or uh, the, uh, the 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 plant parts are useful so there are specific compounds in plants which uh, is technically called the secondary metabolites which are like uh, which some of them can have beneficial medical uh, effects but the thing is we have to find them so uh, we'll be doing uh, a couple of videos on these as well and talking about okay which uh, like uh, which of these compounds are useful and then uh, which of these are toxic like some of the um, these uh, chemicals if you put on your skin and expose yourself in the sun it can cause like uh, skin damage so all all these compounds are there but we just have to find the specific one which uh, is beneficial to the Like to you or to anyone who is uh, consuming that thing. Now, however, like uh, accessing these uh, information and all is not um, like easy. Like uh, the people have to read up on this uh, scientific literature and all those things. So, uh, what what advice would you give to the patients like who have, who are uh, con- uh, constantly being bombarded with these? advertisements uh, you know for 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 this all these supplements and uh, uh, this alternative medicine and you know, like uh, what sort of uh, they say uh, scientific thinking would would you uh, tell them so that you know they can um, reduce the risk of these kind of exposures um uh, see i mean uh, it's very simple if you are going to buy a new car you will test drive it right nobody is going to just go in a dealership and say okay i'm just getting this car you will test drive it it's the same with your health if someone is prescribing a medicine uh, which is a poorly a multi herbal drug or a herbal drug or or some health supplement that you would like to i mean you don't go blindly have it you actually uh, test drive it you need to know what what the stuff does actually for example if if a patient it's a patient's right to know about what the patient is receiving so if if somebody asks me uh, why did you prescribe this particular drug for example there is a drug called as rifaximin which i prescribe very frequently to my cirrhosis patients and my cirrhosis patients ask me why do you prescribe rifaximin it's an antibiotic why are you prescribing this for 3 months 6 months continuously it's an antibiotic so i tell them see rifaximin is actually a non absorbable antibiotic it does not get absorbed into the body so you will have no systemic effects and rifaximin has these many studies done on it and it actually is helpful in patients with something known as hepatic encephalopathy where you actually have reduced ammonia levels in the body it prevents secondary infections in cirrhosis there are so many uses of rifaximin we know it are there any side effects of rifaximin we know that too very rarely very rarely some patients have had some allergic reactions to rifaximin otherwise rifaximin is such a safe drug it is different from rifampicin which is actually a tb drug it has its own uh, problems with liver injury and what not and we know exactly which patients can develop 
rifampicin uh, liver injury, which drug can interact with rifampicin and cause liver injury. All this we know. So it's a patient's right to ask and it is our onus, our our duty to tell them that you know these, these things can happen with this drug, but you take it for this many months, it's safe. We know it because studies have been done on it. That same level of curiosity has to be there for alternative medicines. For example, if somebody is giving you uh, ashwagandha for uh, stress or for lack of sleep, I mean, it's also a, a herbal product that is used for, for a lot of things. Uh, and no actual studies to prove it, by the way. But it's used for a lot of things. So you should ask that person who's, or if you go to a place and you're buying ashwagandha supplement off the shelf, you read about ashwagandha, go to the internet or ask a physician about ashwagandha if he knows something because everybody has a family doctor. Everybody has a physician to go to and talk to. Speak to them. So what they should do is that they should read about it and they should tell them the right information, whether to use or not, what are the benefits, what are the problems. If the physician just says that, you know, it's your, uh, it's your decision, I don't know about it, that's the wrong part from the physician. But as a, as a patient or as a consumer, you should have that curious mind about what all you're going to have. For example, I, I find it very, uh, very strange that people are actually very, very scared of paracetamol in India. You know, first thing is that liver injury paracetamol. It's the safest drug ever. The number of liver injury cases that you see with paracetamol is because of suicidal attempts, because it's overdosed unknowingly or knowingly people consume it to kill themselves. That is how you get liver failure with paracetamol. Otherwise, you don't get it. It can cause liver injury in a small group of patients with chronic liver disease, but there is there are doses uh, specified for such patients and we know the doses, we don't cross those doses. But the same group of people have no issues with popping a pill containing 23 plants. I mean, totally different. It has ashwagandha, it has giloy, it has curcumin, it has whatnot. And they have no issues because they pop it. That is because they think that herbal and natural means safe. It is not so. Herbal and natural is probably more toxic than actual prescription drugs that we have actually studied on. And unless and until you have good evidence to show that it is beneficial with a very low risk of side effects, go for it. If, if, if there is no benefit and you have reports of side effects, don't go for it. It's very simple. It's, it's common sense that you apply on your health. Just like you go buy a car, you test drive it. You use that same aspect in, in your health also. And it, everything becomes so clear. There is no confusion. Or you go to an expert or your physician, talk to them, get the details, and then go for it. So uh, what are some like uh, resources which uh, the public can access to check about, uh, say, uh, toxicities related to um, herbs like ashwagandha or the giloy and uh, all these uh, like Yes, so uh, there is this website called uh, the Liver Talks. I mean, this is specifically for liver. And uh, Liver Talks, L-I-V-E-R-T-O-X, is actually run by the National Institute of Health, NIH, in the US. And uh, they usually update their uh, database. And it's very simple. It's, it's written in very simple language. Anybody can understand it. You go to Liver Talks, on the search bar, you type in curcumin or ashwagandha, you will get all the details of uh, side effects and benefits and everything is mentioned there. That is one good uh, website that you can actually look into. Uh, the second one is uh, also run by the US government, uh, which is actually National uh, Institute for Complementary and Integrative Medicine, uh, NC, uh, NCCIM, National uh, Institute for Complementary and Integrative Medicine. And 
there they actually give very simple explanations uh, regarding if some particular herb should be used if you are going to use it what are going to be the problems with it is there any benefit everything they write very clearly for example when when there was a publication from india on giloy saying that giloy can cause autoimmune hepatitis something known as you know giloy is actually a drug a, a, a plant that can actually completely disturb your immune functions and that can lead to immune related liver injury so when the papers came out showing that uh, giloy use can actually cause immune related liver injury the first thing ayush ministry did was to say that the paper is fake and it's a peer reviewed paper they said that the paper is fake giloy is safe please have it we've been having it for thousands of years that is not the way to regulate you know if if this was in the us the nicm would actually say that you know we have these reports coming in about giloy everybody please be aware use it only if you have some clinical evidence we don't we have these these, these evidence or we don't have these 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 evidence let us do more work on it there is going to be a pharmacovigilance study on this by the us government or by the groups who conduct it and then we will see if this actually is more harmful or more beneficial and then you please go ahead that is how you regulate here is just promotion there is no regulation aspect here so the whole point is to regulate and these websites that i have told you uh, because we don't actually have a good regulatory body telling us what to do what not to do uh, i think every man for himself in india go to these websites talk to your physician get the knowledge from your own side because now everybody can access scientific data so easily and you can actually go through it if you don't understand it ask your expert ask your physician to explain this to you so that you actually don't go for something that is potentially harmful i think even the website run by dr exar turns is also good for for uh, looking into some of the uh, this thing like uh, his write ups on homeopathy and all yeah but professor exar turns actually writes a lot on uh, homeopathy based studies you know a lot of you know, he does not actually talk about adverse events per se but overall a homeopathy studies new new developments coming out of it he does a wonderful job wonderful job of uh, updating it yeah so uh, we will uh, provide the links in the description like as such below and then um, like uh, the, you can check it out uh, to see like what all are listed in this thing so um, i think we have come to the end of this uh, discussion so finally like uh, what would you like you know as a general advice what would you like to say to the like those uh, upcoming say doctors who might want to you know uh, uh, say enter like not just in the clinical aspect but also research part of the being a doctor or or even those uh, class those who just finished you know class 12 and all those who want to enter into the uh, this uh, like uh, clinical research kind of uh, areas uh, my advice is to actually follow the scientific path you know if you want uh, see it's not just becoming a doctor uh, makes you follow science i mean it's 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 tough to get into us an mbbs or an md or a dm stream so easily it's very competitive what happens is that they want to do this medicine as their profession as a career but when they are not able to do it they fall to these pseudo scientific kind of professions mostly homeopathy and ayush related so what i would suggest is that you know uh, not getting a mbbs seat or md seat is not the end of it you know, there are a lot of 
uh, ways that you can actually still be part of the scientific community. And what I have seen is that uh, a lot of uh, my colleagues, when I was when, when when I was at the institute, a lot of my colleagues who were working there in the clinical research department, uh, they had completed their masters in physics, bachelors in botany, bachelors in zoology. Some of them are actually veterinary doctors. They had done their bachelors in veterinary medicine, but then they did a, a short course in clinical research methodology, and then they joined the institute. And they were actually very actively working on a lot of clinical research projects in hepatology, gastroenterology. They were publishing papers. They were presenting in uh, international stages. It's wonderful. You know, it's not just seeing patients that makes you a science person. You can actually contribute to the scientific community or your general community by following scientific streams. And I think this is very important for uh, every student who wants to pursue science as a career should know. MBBS, MD, DM, yes, it's, it's, it's good to have a clinical practice per se. But clinical practice does not guarantee a clinical research mind. You know, you can actually have that through other ways also. A lot of my uh, recent colleagues who I've been working with, uh, two of them are homeopaths. They have done their bachelor's in homeopathy, but they're not practicing now. Uh, but they are helping me uh, do my clinical work and clinical research work. And uh, now they know the whole scientific method because they have some, some exposure in, in homeopathy on modern textbooks regarding science and science subjects. So they have the basic idea. It's very easy to uh, make them grow on it. So that is my uh, sincere uh, suggestion that if you want to pursue scientific career, don't just think of medicine. There are a lot of ways that you can become a scientific person and uh, look at or, or practice science as part of your profession. And for doctors who are already practicing, I think every doctor, uh, like we said, every adult should have a child inside. You know, I mean, the same way I think every doctor should have a small, a basic scientist inside. You know, if you if you completely uh, remove basic science from your clinical practice, then there is not much that you can offer your patients. I uh, work. I am. I, I have a clinical work from Monday to Friday, but Saturday, Sunday, I spend a lot of time on basic sciences. I do a lot of basic science work. Once you do basic science work, you are actually empowered, and once you're empowered. You can do many new things for your patients and for your practice. And for every doctor who passes out from MBBS, MD, DM, I, 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 I wish they actually have that clinical research mind. They never let go of it so that they can actually be of great use. They are, they are obviously of very good use to their patients and community. But if you want to step it up a bit further, embrace basic science and research activities in your day-to-day practice and then you can become a great doctor so thank you very much doctor for like your like for sharing a part of your like busy schedule with us and we hope that we can have you again in the future for you know much more interesting uh, discussions like this yeah. thank you thank you for having me i had a great time discussing all this from my personal and professional uh, aspects thank you sir thank you thank, thank you so much Yes.